Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back to the Network Show, where today we're going to talk all things men's tennis, folks. Joining me, as always, from the other side of the country, it's bright and early. His kitties are up making noise, having fun. <laughs> How's it going, Spread? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day in California, and uh, ready to talk some men's tennis, you know, switching it up a little bit. Joining us, as always, also from Canada. Well, not also from Canada, but joining us, as always, also. Yeah. From comma from Canada, John. <laughs> how are things uh, in the in the Great White North today? Not so uh, not so white right now. Snow's melting the last few days, so it's uh, it's been pretty nice and decent weather. Not not a fun morning for me so far, but uh, bad days happen and uh, we move on. It was still a great month of February, so I'm trying to focus on the positive. Onward, upward. Let's take a look at the next week. We've got two tournaments. Uh, one's in Rotterdam. One's in Buenos Aires. Um, we don't quite have outright yet. As we're starting this for Buenos Aires, we'll still touch on that, but we'll start in Rotterdam. Fingers crossed. Maybe we'll get some numbers in Buenos Aires as we're talking. First quarter here, Daniel Medvedev um, off his second place finish at the Australian Open. He's the top seed, FAA down there at the bottom. John, I think you're looking to fade Medvedev here on um, what are actually slower courts than maybe people consider them. Um, what do you think? Yeah, Rotterdam generally plays um, you know medium slow and you know being indoors time of day is not really going to matter as if you know when it's warm outside uh versus when it's cooler at night because we're obviously indoors here so i think that on somewhat slow-ish courts not necessarily mud slow courts uh, i would look to oppose daniel he had you know he's had an, he had an early exit here last year in his first indoor match or tournament of the year um he has made the semis here prior to that though so it's up and down for him in in rotterdam but you can certainly oppose at nice prices um, along the along the way in individual matches. And I think that when we talk about opposing Daniil here, the number one thing is do we have players who can play well and ha- have have turned up results on on slower hard courts um, in the past? And I do think someone like Felix Ogel Yassim, who on really slow courts in Cologne put up back to back nice performances um, at the after the restart last fall. I think someone like Borna Chorich in his second round match could be dangerous for him. Uh, I, I think he's got to get by Van der Zanschulp first, but I I don't know if Van der Zanschulp's going to have enough from the baseline uh, to really uh, stick with Chorich in those longer rallies. And I, I think Chorich should come through that relatively easily. I think the conditions here are going to be uh, to his liking in that first round match. So when you take a look at this little section, you've also got Alex Deminauer, the Aussie in there. He's got to go through John Millman, and then it's Felix and uh, ADM going head-to-head. So for that reason, I kind of like the Chorich outright, first of all, because he plays Medvedev or would play Medvedev earlier. You're getting a 50 to 1 price on him, uh, as opposed to Ogiel Yassim and Deminauer, who you'd kind of have to pick one or the other. They both have, uh, you know, their prices and as attractive as Chorich is, and they'd still have to end up probably, if you lose, if Chorich does lose, uh, they still have to end up beating Medvedev in that uh, in that quarterfinal. So I do believe the value here, if you're going to trust the conditions and trust the fact that Medvedev sometimes, you know, he's made the quarters as a qualifier, then he made the semis and he was out round one here. He does have volatile results and he can go out early. So don't worry about saying, you know, Medvedev's not going to go too, too early. I would look at that 50 to one at Chorich and, and, and think it's worth a sprinkle for sure. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to be playing the other match by match, like you said, because ADM and FAA have to play each other. It puts you in a really tough spot and you don't want to have too many outrights, but I like the general thinking there. How about you spread anything to add? Yeah, I'll be interested to see how uh, uh, FAA does here because you know, this is a great draw for him and and to be able to to set up, you know, like you said, 
the court conditions might favor him if he does end up playing med, if he gets by Korich. Uh, this could be a great win and a great showing to, to keep his year going. Let's jump into the second quarter. Alexander Zverev at the top. Bautista Agut off a long week down there in the bottom. Uh, Zverev has a really nice draw here. And as I look at the outright markets, I'm surprised that he's the fourth favorite to win this tournament. We're indoors, which would be good for his serve. The courts are a little bit slower, but he certainly doesn't mind that. He's got Bublik in the first round, which, again, might normally be a tough match, but he's coming off a long week. Um, you look at the rest of the draw there. Tommy Paul's a nice player, but Zverev's going to be a, an overwhelming favorite there. Um, Opelka. I don't think it's going to give him too much trouble, and we'll see what Bautista Good does. Also, coming off a long week, so it's tough to think that there's you know kind of value in an outright market at someone at six and a half to one. But I think he should be much closer to the betting favorite here. I understand why Medvedev is the favorite; that makes all the sense in the world to me. But to have Zverev behind Rublev and Tsitsipas doesn't make sense to me. So at six and a half to one, I see a little value. What do you think, Spread? Yeah, I completely agree with you guys. And I know that Jorge is going to go deeper into it, and I'd love to hear what he thinks about. Um you know, potentially a Tommy Paul match in the second round. And then RBA, we'd probably be a little higher on him, but the fatigue definitely um, moves me off of him. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not going to be um, looking. I think it sets up perfectly for Sasha here. I, I mean, you look at his uh, second quarter, Bublik should not, you know, he's he's got the, the two guys who could really, really push him, I think, in Bautista Agut and Bublik are both coming off finals this week. Uh, one in Singapore, the other, I think, still playing as we speak in Montpellier in France. So, you know, those guys, you're not really too concerned about. Riley Apelka, I don't know how well his game is going to hold up on, on you know, medium slowish courts. Uh, and you take a look at last year's results indoors on courts that weren't necessarily the quickest. Uh, Zverev made the final in Paris. And he won the Cologne tournament setup that were back to back. He actually lost to Medvedev. Medvedev won that uh, that match in Paris. He won that tournament in Paris, which which doesn't have the quickest courts. So I think that's why you're still seeing him as as the overall betting favorite. I do, but that was the three setter, and I do think that um, that Sasha here is going to be in conditions that that favor him. And he he played really well in uh, indoor tournaments that played a, a tad slower, where he could use his serve to get a lot of free points, but at the same time on return where he's also very, very strong. Uh, if he could get some serves back and, and elongate those rallies now, all of a sudden on slow courts, his ability to defend and his ability to uh, return really come into play more than they would on a quick court uh, where guys can just serve, uh, you know, through him or, or keep the points relatively short and, and negate his kind of advantage on that, uh, on that end of the, at that end of the court. So I do think here's Zverev looks really strong. I, I definitely believe he should be, uh, favorite ahead of Tsitsipas, ahead of Rublev, uh, and he should not be the fourth betting favorite. I, you can make a case he should be the favorite, but like like Noop said, it's understandable why you're seeing Daniil in that spot. He, you know, he he did go, he did win that Paris uh, Masters last year on somewhat slower courts. He did go to the final a couple weeks ago. We know how recency bias is going to be baked into this always uh, because books know the public is going to jump on them, so they want to kind of protect themselves um, with a with a pretty low number. Uh, or pretty expensive number on someone who just went to a Grand Slam final. Yeah. Let's jump into the third quarter. Rublev's got kind of a nice draw here. Uh, we have Golfan at the top. Again, he's playing right now in a final against RBA, as mentioned. Um, Bears in there. Andy Murray has a chance to win a match. How do you see all this <laughs> shaking out, John? Yeah, this is another one. I mean, Golfan, another guy in a final right now, um, as you mentioned. Murray and Hasse, Like, do you really see either of them troubling Rublev on, on these courts? I, I can't. I can't put it together. Andy Murray has not impressed me at all. I've been consistently fading him. Uh, I watched 
in his first match or first turn it back starting in Biela, I watched a few of his matches and just came away thoroughly unimpressed with his serve. Um, those run relatively quick, quicker courts where you know they kind of almost should be playing up a bit. Did not impress me in the least. Uh, and that you know, I, I think he went out first round in Montpellier. I could not believe he was a dog to Igor Garasimov. That was all name recognition. Uh, Igor was in favorable conditions. That was a nice, easy win. Um, if you bet on Igor there, but you know, again, and now in these slower conditions, Rublev is, has really added to his return game. He started working with, I believe Vicente as his coach. And we saw the the progress he made on clay and, and the progress he made in, in point construction and not, and being more patient within points that could serve him very well in a potential second round match with Andy Murray. Uh, then of course, you know, Ugo Umber is, is been overvalued all week in Montpellier. Now he's coming to slower courts. Rublev's not gonna. He, he's not gonna have enough on return to trouble Rublev if they meet. Rublev's got the a serve that will, you know, win him as many free points as Ugo's will. So he's kind of not as a, at a disadvantage on serve. He's got a huge advantage, um, in my opinion, on return there. And then Goffey and Struff. I mean, I, I, I'd be hard pressed to to talk you out of a, a Struff bet in the first round there because Goffey has played so long this week. I, it, anything plus money against a decent player um, is something that I would look look to take there. So you go through his quarter and there's just really nothing to trouble him. I skipped Jeremy Shardy because Shardy needed three sets to get through Greek sport uh, yesterday, three sets to get through Hong today, just to get into the main draw again. What on earth does he offer to trouble Rublev other than a serve? Once again, if Rublev can extend any kind of rallies there, uh, he's got a huge advantage over Shardy. I just think he's, you know, heads, head and shoulders above the rest of this quarter. That said, I mean, Five, uh, five to one or four to one is still a little short uh, for me to take because I, I do believe that once he gets to the semis and finals, he'll probably be an underdog to, you know, a Sitsi pass or a, and then once in the final, whether it's Zverev or Medvedev, he'll definitely be the underdog there. So it, it's tough for me to, to advise people taking a number of five to one when in all likelihood in both in the final, he'll be a dog and in the semifinals, he could very well be an underdog, depending on who gets there. So it, it's tough to turn around and say, um, you know, five to one looks value. Yeah. Anything to add, Spread? Are we ready to jump into the fourth quarter? No, I want to talk about this fourth quarter. Um, this is the quarter to me. This is where all the fun is, right? We got the best first round match probably in Walrenka versus Kashinov. Um, Basil hasn't been back in form. And I think he's playing Nori. Is that who got placed there? Yeah. Um, yep. Then we'll see Hubie Hercox. And Manorino, which should be a pretty good match. And then, of course, Tsitsipas, you guys know how much I enjoy him. Uh, playing Karasimov, who, um, you know, did pretty well this week, right? I mean, I don't I don't take too much away from, from the loss to Gofan. I thought Gofan played played quite well there. So uh, this will be Tsitsipas' first match uh, since the Australian Open, where he did quite well. So I uh, expect good things from, from both those players. Should be a lot of fun here. Um you know, when it comes down to me, I think that, you know, even though it's a little chalky, it'll probably come down the difference between, between Stan and Sitsipas. That would be my ideal. Although if Kashinov were to take out Walrinka, that wouldn't be the craziest thing. And I do think that um, you're getting some nice value here on Stan to kind of come alive on these courts. So uh, I know he hasn't had the best season so far, but he's got so much talent. And, you know, if he were to take out Sitsipas, I wouldn't be that surprised. So I'd probably be looking at Walrinka coming out of this quarter. Yeah, I agree with you there, Spread, and I know you do too, John, but uh, break it down for us a little bit. You were talking pre-show about how Arinka, Arinka's game sets up nicely for those courts, and I thought you did a really good job talking about that, so why don't you share that with the folks? 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, as, as a pick him in that first round, I, I do believe that, you know, that, that's a mistake against uh, Aaron Hatchinoff. I think he should be the favorite here. Um, he's had a lot of success in Rotterdam in the past, and you can understand why. He's got a big game. Uh, he's an all-court player. He doesn't mind the slower courts. He can hit. He can really rip through on both wings. He's got the power to hit through uh, slower courts that might chew the ball up a little bit. I think he's far more consistent right now from the baseline. Uh, and another thing, too, here, remember, uh, you know, Spread mentioned Stanimal hasn't had potentially the greatest season. It's not like Hatchinoff has been in the best form um, since the, the tour resumed either. I, I don't really think, um, you know, that that's not a great equalizer for Hatchinoff. I think they kind of, it's, it's a wash in that respect. He, he couldn't even get through a visibly injured Berrettini in Australia, who then had to, you know, ended up withdrawing, I believe, um, from, from the field and giving Sitsipas a walkover. So, you know, just not, not the greatest uh, from Hatchinoff right now. I do think that, Stan is poised for potentially another nice run in Rotterdam. I think he's made a final. He's won it before. For I know that. Uh, this is a, a very nice spot for him. He's an all-court player with a very big game um, that can that, that won't be trolled by slow courts. You know, obviously, he's all, all, always had a ton of success on clay as well. And once he gets to Hatchinoff, that second round, he'd be a big favorite He uh, against either Nori and especially against Basilashvili. I think, you know, it, at 28-1, to 1, it's worth a stab in case somehow – uh, since he pass gets upset, it kind of ruins a potential rollover. I think we calculated mm-hmm. it pre-show. The rollover might be more valuable here if he does play, you know, Hatchinoff, Nori, Tsitsipas, Rublev, and then either uh, Zverev or Medvedev. But uh, if, you know, Zverev does end up in the final, as I would, I would expect, over Medvedev, uh, I think I don't think he's as long of a, an underdog. Um, if I don't think Rublev gets upset. But if Pass somehow can't get through, whether it be Grassmop or Hercotch or Manorino, then all of a sudden, you know, you lose a, a significant chunk of what you were relying on in terms of odds to get your rollover over the finish line. And I don't know if it's enough uh, of a difference in the rollover to make up for the, the risk you have of losing one of those kind of needed underdog matches that, that you required to get over the 28 to 1. So I'd probably take the 28 to 1 here on Stan Vavrinka. Uh, that was a nice breakdown. We love to go through and kind of do those parlays. And as we were doing a pre-show, we got pretty close to 28. I think we were like in the low 30s or something when we finally put it all together. But like you said, uh, given you know how susceptible we think Medvedev is to maybe get knocked off here, that is just going to throw everything out of whack. Um, even if somebody like, especially even if somebody like Sitsipas, you know, kind of flakes there in the first couple of matches, which I don't think he does. But any other thoughts here, guys, before I recap the, the couple outrights we like? Now let's go into the first round matches. All right, we like Zverev six and a half to one, Warinka twenty eight to one, and Chorich fifty to one. Um, you know, smaller plays there for the most part. I put I might put a whole unit on Zverev. It's at six and a half to one, and then maybe a quarter unit on Chorich and a half unit on Warinka, something like that. But those are the three names we've picked out. Let's jump into some first round matches. Um, not a ton that stuck out to us. But we'll start with Golfan versus Struff here. You know, John, you kind of teed this up. We've got Struff coming off a long week. I'm sorry, Golfan coming off a long week, and I think this is probably a nice spot for Struff. What do you What do you say? Yeah, I, I think this is. You know, I hate the the, the term "get right" spot because it, it does lean heavily on narratives. But um, you look at Gofanzier as a whole; he he doesn't because he's been struggling so much. He has not had a lot of practice recently or since having COVID, backing up a long week, uh, and he's had a long week here in Montpellier. I do think that you know Struff serve and and his his overall ability is good enough to keep him not just close but give him a real shot against David Goffin. And then you add in the potential fatigue coming from Montpellier to Rotterdam and having to play. Uh, I do certainly think there's a chance here for for Struff to uh, to take the match. He's down to, you know, about plus 120, which 
isn't necessarily the greatest. He was up around, you know, he opened about uh, plus 130, got all the way up to plus 160, plus 166. Uh, and he's, it, his price is really tanked. I think it's, it's actually been overnight um, when, and yesterday afternoon when people realized, Hey, you know, Gofang is going to play a final. And I think the fatigue fade money came in early. So it, it is uh, borderline. I still think anything above $1.95 will represent value. So if you can get the 218 pinnacle, 210, even 210, bet 365, um, you know, the places I'm looking at it, it's not the worst um, situation. Of course, you know, the, the best of the number has is gone because again, after that he won yesterday, I think a lot of people started really betting heavily on, uh, on Struf. Yeah. How about you spread anything to add there? Yeah. I mean, Kofan's so tough to handicap, right? I mean, he looked absolutely terrible in the two tournaments he played in Australia, right? Mm-hmm. And it looked like we're ready to write him off. And then he gets back to Europe and all of a sudden he looks like um, the player that we kind of, you know, expect from him. So, uh, he's really inconsistent, not too excited to get involved in his matches unless I'm going to be fading him. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Let's jump into the next match. Uh, Stanislas Wawrinka. It's got Karen Hatchinov, um, you know, right around a pick him, starting to move a little bit. Hatchinov um, at Pinnacle is minus 119, Wawrinka uh, plus 104. But it seems like it's starting to settle around there. It's, it's moved up and down. It looks like the best price on Wawrinka you could have gotten was 2.06. The worst number would have been 1.94. Sorry, I couldn't tell if that was a plus or a minus there. But, you know, <laughs> so pretty tight here. Makes sense to me. I, I like Stan. I think I would have him a more solid favorite here, even before considering kind of what you talked about, John. I'll let you jump in here, Spread. What do you think of this match? Yeah, uh, I do like Stan here, but I th- I'm wondering if I'm being just a little too optimistic and assuming that we're going to get his best performance. Um, you know, neither of them did that well. Uh, in Australia for, you know, the type of players we consider. So, you know, John talked about get-right spots. I mean, both of them are going to try and get right in this tournament. So I definitely think we'll get, you know, full motivation, and I don't think any any of them are going to be looking ahead um, to future tournaments. Now, that being said, uh, will we necessarily get the good play uh, just because they're motivated? That's, that's what's tough to say. Uh, but still, I do like Stan. I feel like if they both play their best on this surface, I think Wamrinka can pull it out. Let's jump to the next match here. Hubie Hercats playing the Rhino. Um, <laughs> again, another closely lined match here. Manorino, as I look at Pinnacle, plus 114. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like Hercats has been taking some money here. Manorino opened um, minus 111 or 1. 1.9, if you will. And again, is out to 2.14. Um, Hercats opened 1.97 and is out to minus 132, which I think takes us to like 1.77, 1.78, something like that. Um, what do you see here, John? Yeah, this is one. It's funny. The when when they opened it about a pick I, I was probably gonna be away from this one. Hubie Hercatch is another tough guy to that, that could be tough to handicap. You don't really want to be backing him too much as a favorite. I, I fell for it this week uh and was punished. Um he I, I like Hercatch, which is funny because I'm one of the last people who actually believes in this kid i think a lot of people love fading him especially when he's playing someone that's competent indoors or competent on surface and you get them as an underdog right and i i i'm i'm there this week i think that a pickem was about right it has moved 24 cents uh in manorino's direction i think that that's an excessive move and obviously if you think something is lined correctly and it moves 24 cents i'm not sure how you can justify not betting it you know what i mean like how do you pass on something after it's moved 24 cents uh from where you thought it should be if you say it should, you know, 190 is right and it gets to 214, it's like, you know, then you don't think it's right anymore. You can't. You can't think it's night right at $1.90 and then think it's still right at $2.14. So just out of, you know, you know, pure numbers-based 
uh, handicapping. It's two dollars twenty at Hard, by the way, for anyone in like the Nordic countries or Canada or whatever other country they are, uh, they are, they are present in. Apologies, uh, two dollars twenty. You get another six cents, and you know, again, thirty cents difference in that case. It's a big shift, and I will be on. I, I think I have to be on Manorino in this spot. I think you're right. It really any player, like you said, that gets to that 2.2 range or greater is value here because it should be basically a coin flip. What do you think, Spread? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, this is just more general handicapping, right? But he makes a great point, right? We're looking to take advantage of what we consider mistakes. And we have two opportunities. We have the books making a mistake. And then in this case, the market making a mistake, right? By just moving it too far. And the fact that we think that the number's correct and then it's moving so far to one way, that gives you the mistake that you want to go ahead and take advantage of. So I'm with you guys here. All right, that was the last match we had circled to talk about. The rest are really big favorites. The only other one that's really close is Tommy Paul um, versus Senego. Anybody have anything I, there? I almost wonder if with Paul's, you know, it's funny now that I now that I kind of give it a second glance, I, I almost wonder if Sonego is worth a potential play. I'm going to have to look at it more. But, you know, the serve could still play, and then the kind of slower courts don't hurt him. Um, and Paul just doesn't look look like someone who is motivated to, you know, win 500-level tournaments against players he's going to have to, you know, play 100% against, give 100%. He's going to have to be on you know his top, the top of his game. He's he can't let up, and he's just not the guy that goes like four or five matches in a row to do that. And I, I wonder in this spot too, Senegal's someone that you're going to have to do that against uh, to beat or to break at least. And he, he's someone who's not going to be bothered by long rallies as someone who came up on clay and has, has since improved his game on hard courts. He's not going to mind those long rallies, uh, and so I do think that all things considered, court form. Um, even the serve there, Senegal's not going to have a weak enough serve to uh, to get broken easily if he, he he can put a lot of first serves in. So I do wonder if that might be worth a play. All right, we'll circle back to that. I bet uh, I can force John to tweet that out as a free play if he likes it <laughs> later. Um, but I think that wraps up everything we've got for Rotterdam. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, we didn't have outrights for Buenos Aires at the start, but we wanted to get this out sooner rather than later because the tournament starts really soon. I don't know what the hell the books mm -hmm. are doing. They're pulling a huge boner here. We'll tweet out any actual numbers we like when they pop up, but let's just take a look kind of top half, bottom half of the draw very quickly. Um, and I'll start with you here, John. We know that Schwartzman might be a little banged up. He generally does play very well in this event, but injury is, is not what you're looking for kind of in your second clay tournament of the year. So any names stick out to you as, as possible underdogs and maybe a range of numbers you're looking for? Yeah, I think potentially looking at the qualifiers when they're placed here might be a smart move. Um, just see who who they are. And yeah, I mean, someone had mentioned to me that that Schwartzman in that match where he, I think he pushed ARV to three sets and then was kind of taken apart in the third, um, didn't look particularly great and looked like he might have had, I believe, a back issue, was it? And if that's the case, um, you know, someone who already doesn't have the biggest serve, um, you know, the service motion is could uh, tweak something there. I I'm definitely not looking to back up on an outright market at all, uh, considering he will likely be, again, as he usually is, uh, in these spots with weaker fields um, in the South American clay swing, he'll probably be either the favorite or the second favorite. You know, Gatting might might have a case, but because you look at the quarters they're in, um, I'm I'm more inclined to think he would be the tournament favorite. There's no way I'm backing him with question marks surrounding him uh, and coming off you know a loss where he battled the second set, but the two sets he lost, he did not look good at all in uh, Cordoba. So. Uh, yeah, I will be looking to oppose him here. I'd say look at the two qualifiers. Andre Martin might interest me. Um, the problem is it, you'd almost have to look to maybe say, you know what? 
the second quarter is where we want to be, right? Because I don't know if, I don't think Tiafo is going to do much. And if he's, if it's just a little tweak in his back and he could make it through, um, Diaz Acosta might not, I don't think is a problem. Bagnus is coming off a long week and long three setter in the semis last night in um, Cordoba. And then of course, you know, Tiafo is not someone I'm looking to, to really back on clay on in an outright um, capacity. So I, I will, I would look to try and, and try and pick on Diego here just in case that back injury does flare up and it is serious. Uh, but I probably say look to the other uh, quarter in this half of the draw to do so. How about you, Spread? Any names stick out on that second quarter to you? No, I think this is this is a tough one for me overall. Um, yeah, I don't really have, have a good one for this one. I, I like what you said, John. I was looking kind of in the bottom half of that second quarter. Like, can somebody like Checonato get hot and make a run here? Um, that was the name that yes. I had kind of circled. I'm curious to see what his price is. I think they might get something like in a 30 range, maybe a little better than that. That would be nice. Um, I don't know too much about Chirundolo here or Sarundolo. Apologies for the terrible pronunciation. Um, <laughs> but he's coming off a long week, isn't he? I know he's been playing yeah. one. You guys have been all over him. I know he's a, he's one of your favorites, I think. Yeah, you know, friend of the show, uh, Zampa, King Kyrgios, in the, when he's in the chat and uh, in the comments, he's been on uh, Juan Manuel for, I think, two years now. And he did not have a good 20, uh, 2020. His second serve really let him down um, last year. But he he really kind of up bur- – he, he kind of emerged – uh, on the ITF and, and potentially challenger circuit in 2019 as a 17 year old. He's only 19 right now. The problem is, you know, he's coming through, I believe, did he come through qualities in Cordoba? I'm not positive, but if he did, sure you know, did. it's really tough to, to, that was a three yeah, qualies round too. That was three qualies plus the main draw. Uh, he's in the final today. Obviously a great story. I'm not expecting him to beat Fetty Del Bonus. Um, you know, Montero, Carbaez Baena, not exactly keen to back them against uh, Kecmanovic. I'd look to, as you said, Marco Cecchinato, I think coming on to our Cecchinato from uh, one of the, the favorite sets. Cecchinato. Cecchinato, Johnny's Cecchinato. <laughs> the greatest um, line of all time. Yeah, that was good. I love that one. Uh, I think that was Tancredi ten Palmieri, right? Um, yeah, Tancredi. So, yeah, I got to give the credit there. Uh, but I, I do think that, um, you know, Lazlo Jerry is, this is finally his preferred surface. He's not an auto fade anymore. But in this spot, I do you trust him to, to a guy who is notoriously up and down within a match does, you know, a lot of not tanks, but he, he, he loses motivation very quickly. If he gets down uh, against checking out on the first round, I think checking out, you know, getting out of altitude and Del bonus didn't look that great last week in altitude where that kind of serve w- would have played a little bit better. I, I'm not really keen on him coming through checking out. Uh, and then I do think that checking out w- will be a nice look against a catch Carbazmana or Montero. So yeah, this is where I would I would agree with you 110%. I think this is where you look. If you're looking to oppose Schwartzman in this top half, this is exactly where um, you're looking to do it uh, is with Marco Cecchinato. Are you concerned about well, health at all with him? About with what? With Cecchinato, are you concerned about health? What uh, for did he – like, Maybe what do you mean? something you know we don't know. Oh, no, I'm yeah. sorry. No, excuse me. Never mind. Like Schwartzman killed him last I week. Up. I got to make But up. I don't think yeah. he was too hurt. Okay. Let's take a look at this bottom half again. I think this draw sets up really nice for Garen. If Schwartzman is a favorite, we might have like kind of a Zverev-like situation where I'll be looking to take Garen because I think this draw is much easier. I think this is a much more manageable path. A lot of the talent for me is kind of in that top half. But what do you see here in the bottom spread? Any names stick out to you? 
Uh, I mean, names that stick out is Benoit Pair. I don't know if I expect a lot from him, but I'll be definitely eager to watch his <laughs> matches because he's been putting on um, some performances as of late, uh, some very good, some very bad. Um, ARV is also always someone to watch. And, and Garen, you know, I think is the rightful number two, and I think you guys made a great point. I kind of like his path uh, a little better than having to come through the top half. So um, he's someone to keep an eye out for as well. Uh, what do you think, John? Any names stick out? Do you expect there to be any value in this second half? Well, well, first off, uh, I'd, I'd cross ARV off right now. He has not; he's in a final today. A lot of the guys playing these long weeks are are playing next week as well. So there's a lot of there's ample opportunity to fatigue fade if you can find a nice number. His first match is not going to be easy. There may not be a, a ton of people who know the name Holger uh, Runa, but um, he is a Murado Glue kind of prodigy. Um, prospect and last year was getting some challenger wild cards i think a lot of the a lot of people i actually had a great discussion on the timeline about this with aruna about some of the wild cards he was getting and it doesn't actually stack up to the musettis and everyone else problem is you know the danes don't host a ton of tournaments like the italians do so they can't give their young guys wild cards so he kind of has to wild card into these events and he got this one because i believe the company that runs the tournament also represents him you know kind of like img players getting all the miami wild cards um Similar situation here, and he's a Murata Glue Academy prospect. He is a clay first kind of guy, and he has been doing it the right way since the restart. He's been grinding it out, uh, and he's been on primarily hard courts uh, and, and winning on hard courts. And I think that form coming back to a surface he's comfortable on, that's going to be a really tough first match for ARV out of altitude uh, where he's really kind of, you know, had to not rely on the altitude for his serve, but it's it's amplified the effectiveness of his serve. He's not going to have that in Buenos Aires. And he's played every, every match so far this week. He's played, has gone three sets. Last night was all, like almost a war against Bagnus. Bagnus played one of these last year in Buenos Aires against uh, Guido Pella. And, you know, si- similar result. It was 7-6-6-7-4-6, uh, I think, or two tiebreak split, and then he lost 4-6 uh, last night. 2-7-5 split each way, and then lost 6-3. So he really pushed Ramos Vignolas, uh, who needed three against Schwartzman. He needed three and an elongated three sets against Echeverri, and he even needed three to beat Londero in his first match. So, uh, I'm looking to oppose him here. I'll probably look at the the Runa price in the first round, um, but in the quarter on the on the whole, um, there's a lot of little names I like here. Tirante is a nice prospect, or, or a young kind of Argentinian uh, that got a wild card. He's someone to watch if he can get through Kepfer. Um, I, I think Runa or Tirante could very well end up in that quarterfinal against Cristian Garin, and Garin has a beautiful path here. I mean, he's got. Two, he's got the 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 only guy in his quarter who should really trouble him is coming off an ex, uh, a really long week and playing a very good young prospect in the first round, uh, potentially playing another good young prospect in the second round, uh, and then would you know he would have to beat them in the 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 quarter and he gets either Joao Souza who has not won a singles match in a main draw of an ATP Tour event since 2019, <laughs> or a qualifier. So Garin has a very, 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 very nice path here uh, to the potential semifinals. And as for the third quarter, I'd look at Pablo Andahar. Problem, I think that second round match of either Caruso or Mager really does look tough. Um, Pair, I'm not worried about Pair in even slower conditions now. You know, 
everyone kind of bought in after the first match in his interview where he said, I'm really pumped up. I'm here to win it. Well, yeah, as soon as he played one guy who loves to get a million balls back in Federico Coria, he kind of gave up once he went down a break in the second set. So <laughs> Benoit Pair is still going to Benoit Pair, no matter how much he says he wants to win or he's here to win. Yeah, no, let's not buy into that crap, especially since he has Coria potentially in his first match again. Not buying it. I agree. Endohar was the name I had circled, but I don't know if the path is great or what he's got right. there. We're curious to see what his number is. All right, guys, any other thoughts here? Just kind of on the draw in general before we hit a couple first-round matches that we do have lines on. Oh, let's oh. check the first-rounders. Ramos has got Rune here. Did I say that right? Oh. I hope I did. Anyway, um, the underdog plus 200. Um, Ramos minus 233 oh. at Pinnacle. Um, so almost $3 again on the underdog. You excited there, John? Like yeah, I mean, talks. I I think I made I think I made <laughs> the case for that in the outright talk. So I think everyone knows where I'm going with that. Anything to add there, spread? No, let's go to the next one. Yeah, I love the fade there. Uh, Bagnus Tiafo, the American, is plus 104 or 2.04 at Pinnacle. Um, it looks like Bagnus took some money early. Then Tiafo came back, so it seems like the market's kind of settling right around you know 2.04, 2.05 for Tiafo, uh, minus 120 for Bagnus or 1.83. What do you see here, John? This is again. This is one where the subjectivity of how you're going to evaluate the long weeks is going to come into play. He played, you know, Bagnus going to the semis, uh, and you know that's represented by the SE by his name in the uh, in the main draw here. For those that don't know, that means special exempt. A special exempt is someone who uh, went so far the prior week that they were. I think originally they had to be slated to play qualifiers. Obviously, going you know to uh, the the Saturday or Sunday the in the, the a tournament the prior week, it has to be within one level, right? So it has to be 250 to challenger or 250 to 250 or 250 to 500. If you can't play qualities because you're still in another tournament, you get special exempted in, you know, that, that kind of indicates, you know, he's, he's had a long week uh, all by itself, but I'm not sure I trust Tiafo yet uh, in his, in his first match on clay. Bagnus did build some form this, um, and in, in the non-altitude like conditions that Cordoba presents, I think that uh, Bagnus should be able to grind here that, I wonder if the lefty game, the spin, I just wonder how Tiafo handles a competent grinding uh, lefty clay quarter in the first round. I think Bagnus here at, at anything above really $1.75, $1.70 uh, presents value. I might even I might even say lower, you could, you could pr probably take the spread. I, I do think I'll back Bagnus here and then look as the week goes on to kind of take advantage of that, the tennis in his legs building up. I was hoping for an over there, but the number's huge. It's like 23 and a half, 24 games. So I, I agree. It's probably bagged us or pass. Yeah. Wow. Um, the, what's the over two and a half sets number there? Do, 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 do. You know, I don't you see that up at odds quarter right now. Might just be some okay. soft totals that open. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, I agree. It's probably bagged us or pass. What do you think, Spread? Anything bad? Yeah. I mean, uh, that, don't want to bring up this head to head from 2015 for Jorge, but um, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that. Uh, it's almost like the perfect scenario. It's like not too much tennis. He got he played enough last week. He's in the same time zone, or if it's not the same time zone, it's at least one. It's not. Like I believe it is America. Yeah. And then, um, you know, he got out, so he's got a little bit of time to rest. It's not like he finishes Sunday and then makes the travel. Um, Tiafo, we know that you know he obviously is very tough to handicap. You know, you don't know exactly what performance you get, but I right. think I'd rather take the player who, who's in the country already played well on the surface rather than the, the first match on clay after after a travel. You know, basically his first time, you know, coming out of uh, America because I'm assuming that he did come home, you know, in between uh, Australia and now. So I like Bagnus here as well. Yeah, he, remember too, I think that 
you know, the Argentinians kind of look out for their own players. They even look out for their, their own players that uh, that fix uh, matches in the case of Nicholas Kicker, who <laughs> has perceived wild cards into ATP Tour level tournaments. Forget challengers. We're talking like ATP level tournaments into qualies and in, uh, this week and I believe into the main draw last week. But um, yeah, they're going to look out for Bagnus here and probably try and schedule him. I, I would think they have to look out for ARV and they're going to have to schedule him Tuesday, potentially Wednesday, but even mm-hmm. still... I mean, one or two days, I don't know how much that compensates for playing four three-setters and then a final on Sunday. Whereas Bagnus getting multiple days off, he will, I would anticipate he'd get the Monday off. Um, you know, two days off, uh, off off a long three-setter, I think that uh, is a little more reasonable to be able to to justify backing him. And you're getting a way more playable number too. Uh, obviously, ARV's number is deflated. Uh, despite the fact that he's playing a good prospect, I'm not sure the market really knows how to evaluate Runa yet in this spot. So you're getting a better number and you're getting a little bit more rest as well. Marco Cecchinato has got Laszlo Gier. Cecchinato, a favorite. Um, looking here at Pinnacle, minus 145, and he's taken money. It looks like we're headed towards yeah. minus 150 or 1.67, uh, which means Gier, who's plus 125 or 2.25, is headed to 2.3. I like the favorite here, obviously. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm not usually the biggest fan of favorites on clay, as everyone. I'm not usually the biggest fan of favorites, as most people know. Uh, but in this spot, yeah, I don't know if if I if I uh, have Laszlo, you know, this close to Marco checking out. Like, sure, checking out. It didn't look great last week, but Hugo Dayen in a little bit of altitude, he does not mind it at all. That's you know, three setter there. He absolutely crushed him in the third set. That's not the worst result. Um, and then you know, he got kind of absolutely crushed by Schwartzman, which isn't great. But Diego Schwartzman's you know top 10, 15 player as opposed to you know you're going up against Lazlo Jr. I don't know if you can really take those matches and equate them uh, to this position. I, I definitely will be back in checking out. Everyone knows I, I'm not a huge fan of uh, of those kinds of dollar sixty eight numbers, uh, but I do have them in the low one fifties to which I guess means minus one ninety to minus two hundred for our American listeners. I, I do think that the the spread here is probably going to be below three games, and that that's certainly playable. And the two nothing could be playable as well. Anything to add there, spread? Yeah, I mean, Jer hasn't won um, since October, <laughs> although one of those wins in October was over at on clay. Um, but other than that, I do. That's probably playing in then. That's probably that, like it's this. Exactly that's in. that's why. You know, see, again, because I don't look at the head to head because, frankly, I don't care if Jerry beat him one time. And the, the problem is well, that's what people I'm look at head to head so much is there you go. They, they probably moved this line 10 to 15 cents over one head to head win on surface five, six months ago. And it's like, does does that one win? The next time they play, which is an, an individual, the match is an individual entity on its own. Does that one win really kind of move the line ten or fifteen cents? Especially like that, when you that's take such a small sample. The form that he's shown since then. I mean, right? Yeah, exactly. And his first match on, I think it's his first match on clay this year, right? Or did he lose in qualities yeah, last week then. in Cordoba? No, he didn't play uh, Cordoba. So there you go. So you know, first match on the surface, whereas you've got um, Chequinado, who's who's played a few on clay. Uh, yeah, he. I mean, he he hasn't won more than four games in a set this year, let alone win a set or a match, uh, Laszlo. So yeah, I, yeah, I'm just not sure how you know one head-to-head win on clay months ago should really move this line ten to fifteen cents from what it should be. I think that's an overreaction, and once again, we're there to capitalize, or hopefully, we're there to capitalize. He hasn't won yet. <laughs> <laughs> Keffer's got Tarante here. Um, you know, Keffer minus 167. I think that puts it right around, like, again, like low 1.6s. Um, Tarante plus 145, 2.45. You like the dog here, don't you, John? 
Yeah, again, I think this is someone who the market may not be totally familiar with. I'm not big. I'm not the biggest fan of Kept Ferron Clay. Uh, I oppose him. Last week was funny. A lot of people backed him, and Corey's price drifted out to about 1.8. And I think it was because it was in a little bit of altitude, uh, just four to 500 meters of altitude. So, you know, where this, it could affect uh, the, the air will start to get thinner and, and help the serves. And Kepfer did have the big serve. I think that's why we saw that big market shift. But people forget, like, he still hasn't done much on in quicker conditions on clay before. I think he's made one real impressive run on clay. That was in Rome, which is dirt slow. Um, no pun intended. But... You know, here it's going to be a bit slower, so it might be a little more applicable. I'm still not convinced about Kepferon Clay. He's got the the kind of the heavy, spinny forehand. He does have the lefty game. He's got a nice serve to to you know kind of hit through the clay. So I can understand why the market kind of likes him. Um, and, and you know that ro- that run in Rome kind of shows that he does have the ability. But I, I certainly think that uh, Tirante is the more comfortable player, the more uh, the player more accustomed to the clay. And I think we're getting a little bit of um, you know, market. I don't want to say ignorance. It's it's it is kind of ignorance in the literal sense, but it's more like it is. they're unaware, have, right? I they're just unaware of who he play. is. Yeah, it's and a blind as a result, spot. Blind yeah. spot is probably a better term. Like ignorant makes it sound like you know an insult more than just like literally right. just unaware. It's right? Spot. It's a new player that they don't really know yeah. what to do with him. Yeah, so yeah, I so I think that that multiple sports. It's hard to know Toronto. Like I mean, absolutely, tennis only yeah. cappers are going to be familiar with his game. Yeah, that's like that's exactly, and I think it's going to be something where I don't think he should be a bit. I don't think he should be a favorite here. Like I'm not saying this line is 80 cents off, but I think it should be closer to two dollars ten, two dollars fifteen. I'm just really not. I'm and I'm someone who's not sold on kept for on clay either. So that my handicap and my price is going to be different from even someone who says he's two dollars twenty five. I say he's two dollars ten. Either way, I think you're probably finding value when he's at two dollars forty five. Whether um, you know if you know his game. Regardless of your handicap on Kepfer, I think there's going to be a, a bit of value here for you. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Andahar's playing Landero. Andahar, it's pretty close to pick him, but Landero's taking some money. It looks like at Pinnacle, he's out to minus 122, ahead of to minus 125. Um, Andahar plus 106. And again, it looks like he's getting a little bit better. Maybe he gets out to 2.1 or so. I like the dog here. Um, I actually think Andahar should probably be favored here. I know, again, he's an, a little bit of an older player, but. I think the wrong player's favorite. What do you think, John? Yeah, you, you get him off. Um, I'm trying to find the tab here. Um, but you get him off the uh, the the surfaces that are too too quick. Um, it, it's not going to be an easy match by any stretch. Like, Landero's competent, but I he's he hasn't been in the greatest form either uh, since I think he won. I think he won Cordoba a couple years ago as, like, a surprise winner. Um, and... Since then, he he's kind of like been gaining respect, but I'm not. I, I'm just not sold on his form. I think Andahar is a tough opponent. He's he's going to grind him down. He's a guy who loves his challenger clay and his you know 250 early round clay. Like this is where Andahar kind of thrives. Um, so I do think that I I think there's value in this number. The the this is where the problem arises though with the outright that we were talking about. It's not the easiest path because I, I do like him in this match, and I would probably like him in his next match as well, but. You know, it's not going to be easy against Londero, and it's not, and Magar Caruso are not going to make it easy either uh, in the second round before he gets to, you know, uh, probably a qualifier or Coria uh, or potentially Pair. And if Pair is, you know, wins a match and all of a sudden he looks like he, he might care again for a week, that's not an easy match either. So uh, I do think that there's a tough path on the whole for Andahar, but in this, in this spot, um, the individual match does look uh, tempting. Yeah, I agree. Anything to add, Spread? 
Yeah, I'm not going to overthink this one. Londero, one and nine in his last 10 matches, and that lone win yeah. uh, was in the French Open. So uh, I'll just go. Uh, Pretty beat. Though, uh, Pretty beat, beat there. Del Bonus in the French in five. Um, yeah. Even though Andujar honestly hasn't been that much better, but at least I can see a couple wins here on the sheet, and I trust him a little more at this point. I'll just go ahead and fade the form that Londero is showing and, and join Jorge with Andujar here. Last match we had circled, uh, Mager, Caruso, pretty much right yeah. around even. Caruso's minus 111 um, or 1. 1.9. We got Mager minus 103 or 1.97. This number is still taking shape here. It looks like Mager's taking money early, but again, it, it's pretty early in the, in the line settling process. What do you see here, John? Yeah, I think here's an interesting spot. Salvi hasn't played on clay yet this year. Um, Mager got a match under his belt last week. I think he had the unenviable task of, was it Frankie Serendolo he had to play yeah, last week? Serendolo. Uh, and he didn't play poorly. He won the first set in a tie break. And then, I, you know, I, I almost wonder if the clay legs, he he didn't quite have anything under him yet. Um, and Serendolo, who has been very spotty, he does just disappear at times. Uh, his When his forehand lets him down, it looks really bad. And he still has to find that, um, you know, consistency within matches as he goes. He did win, I think, three challengers at the end of last year. Was probably one of the best players um, on the challenger tour po post restart. Looked great. Um, and, you know, so that's a very tough match for Mager. He, he looked really impressive. What I love about Mager, though, is his second serve. He really gets a lot of depth in that service box. He puts a decent amount of spin on it. And you just can't really attack it. You know, you, you can't really jump it and try and hammer balls um, because he keeps them relatively high. You kind of have to push them back to him. And even then, when you're when you're taking a ball up above your waist, you know, either you're taking it at your waist and you're way back in the court and it's hard to get depth on it without uh, mishitting it, or you're taking it high and it's really hard to, to, to get any power on it without sending it long, especially when there's spin on it. So I think he, he, I really like the way he can neutralize the ability to attack his second serve. I love his first serve as well. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Gianluca Magra, and I think here, considering Salvi hasn't played on clay yet this year, and even last year wasn't the most impressive outside of the Parma Challenger where he went to the final, I don't think he looked that great on the clay at all. Uh, I think he went 4-1 and one that week or 5-1, or and one, um, and the rest of the clay season he was under 500. So I, I do think there's there's room for a Magra bet here. I do think that his, his serve is going to play. I do think his kind of warm-up match against one of the better young clay players uh, out there right now. And Frankie Serendolo, Francisco is his real name in case anyone jumps on us for that. But, um, you know, that kind of warm-up match should serve him really well moving into Buenos Aires. That makes perfect sense to me. Anything to add here, Spread? Yeah, no, I think this is going to be a fun match. And um, I think this is another one that I'm just kind of kind of continue this idea that when you've got guys that have played in the country on the surface going against guys that are just traveling mm -hmm. there, I want to take the guy with the match experience, assuming it's a reasonably close uh, match as far as, you know, talent and ability. So I think we got that situation here. And even though you might look and say, oh, well, he lost in the first round, you know, to Serendolo, Jorge brings up great points. That that's good experiences on the surface, get you ready to go. Whereas I think that uh, Caruso is going to come in here and, and it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period for him. I think Margaret can take advantage. I wonder, let me check the first set lines here. Um, it's not that far off. $1.94 at Pinnacle for the first set and $1.97 on the overall money line. I, I almost like the, the Gianluca Mager first set money line here, especially from that angle. Mm -hmm. 
maybe more than the money line. It's it's essentially the same price. The difference in implied probabilities there is is minuscule. I, I also don't think he's gonna if he does win the first, I don't think he's gonna blow a set lead to Caruso in his first match um on the surface. So I, I think either one um would be interesting, but I think both present value. And I almost wonder if um that first set money line really looks does look attractive. All right, gentlemen. I think that's everything that we had to cover. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you for listening. Again, be sure to follow us on Twitter at NetworthPod. We'll be sending out some stuff. I know we have to circle back and see what happens. They haven't placed Pagula yet, so uh, we'll send out some women's well, stuff once that does happen. They don't They don't place Pagula until the tournament's underway because it's a three-round oh, qualies there, and she has to play tomorrow as well, so right. no luck. Well, again, we'll tweet out some stuff when as Buenos Aires uh, outrights come out. Maybe we'll again circle back to some of the stuff we talked about yesterday. But thanks again, folks. And uh, we'll be back soon to talk about some more tennis, maybe even NBA pod this week's bread. We'll see. Yeah, we're going to have to do that. But uh, we got 24-hour tennis again, right? I mean, so oh, yeah. this definitely needs to be said. Good luck in all your wagers.